Now, it might uh, actually help if you were following that passage in the Bible, or would you like to turn to it, uh, possibly just to have it open this morning in front of us, because I shall be sort of picking out some phrases and some thoughts in it, and it might be good just to reinforce them as you have the Bible in your own hands. It's page 1134, Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 12 to 18, page 1134. Now, you know that we're going through a series based on this book, uh, If, uh, by Mark Batterson. And this is a series all about how God can lead us into a new future. The future that God offers us. It's uh, uh, moving from the not only uh, if only ifs to what if uh, the possibility ifs. And there's always a new start with God, isn't there? Wherever we come from, whoever we are, the offer is always for a new beginning because we've been set free in Christ to walk into God's future. And in today's passage, uh, Paul gives us two great encouragements to keep us moving forward. And they're these. First of all, he says, think who you are. And then he says, think who you will be. So first Paul says, think who you are. And as we've been thinking in our service so far, you are a child of God himself. We love putting labels on people, don't we? Uh, We put labels on them informally in meetings, but but actually in our heads we label people. And we put them into categories and types, and we say you're that, and you're this, and you're the other. But actually the labels that, that really stick and sometimes hurt are the ones that we put on ourselves. Now, some of them are descriptive. You know, son, father, mother, daughter, uh, retired, teacher, executive, fashion icon, whatever. (laughs) Whatever the label is that you put on yourself. Uh, But you know there can be darker labels that that actually we wear and we don't really want to show. Not as bright as my brother, Uh, Not my parents' favourite. Not much good at anything, really. And those are the labels which go deep and sometimes can do damage. We've even got this phrase nowadays that you hear more and more about. People who suffer from a poor self-image. And how does that look from God's perspective? Today's passage, God himself by his spirit says, look, whatever label you put on yourself, actually whatever labels other people put on you now or from your past, whatever those labels are, actually there's only one label that counts. And that is that you're a child of God. And that's the label you wear, wherever you're going and whoever you are. And that's how I choose to see myself as a child of God. That's who I really am. And you can imagine, can't you, Paul's listener saying, really? Really? Uh, how, how, how does that work? Uh, how can that be? And Paul uses, it doesn't come out very clearly in the translation, but But Paul uses a word that would be very well known to uh, his listeners, particularly in Rome at that time. Because he talks about adoption. 
And he, in verse 15, that word sonship actually means adopted sonship. Now, in our time, we've given adoption, haven't we, a particular role and function and purpose. But in Paul's time, you know, adoption was, was the common way in which the wealthy and the powerful made sure who would get their goods and who would follow them. And Caesars and other powerful leaders were forever adopting who was to come next. And there was a formal legal process to do it and empower fully the person that they were adopting as their son, usually. So I'd like to show you a, a, a clip from uh, Ben-Hur. Uh, from all the film nerds uh, amongst us, uh, yes, it is the 1959 version. Uh, yes, it is the chariot race, and no horses have been hurt in the making of this sermon. And yes, it is Charlton Heston, and yes, it is Jack Hawkins, and yes, they do all speak very funny, and yes, it is all terribly amusing. But please can you concentrate on what it says about adoption, which is why I'm showing it this morning. Not long ago, I returned to Rome with a young man who had saved my life. You all know him as the finest charioteer in Rome. Five times he's driven my horses to victory. I know him as one who stands in the place of the son I lost. I have the love and pride in a son's achievements, which I thought I should never have again. Nothing could make stronger the bond between us, but tonight I wish to share it with you all. The formalities of adoption have been completed. Young Arius is now the legal bearer of my name and the heir to my property. This ring of my ancestors would have gone to my son. So now it is yours. Strange destiny that brought me to a new life, a new home, a new father. It brought me here. It may take me away. But wherever I may be, I shall always try to wear this ring as a son of Arius should. With gratitude and affection. And with honor. Do you see how the formal process of adoption in Romans times took a nobody and made them a somebody? And Paul says, that's what God has done for you. You may think you're a nobody, but he's called you his heirs by adoption and has made you a somebody, a child of the living God. And that's who you really are. Well, you may say, okay, I get it in my head. But actually, I don't often feel it in my heart. You know, one of the things that actually quite often disturbs me is that I won't do it to you this morning. But, but I've had sort of conversations where I've sat down and, and looked at people in the face. And, and I've said to them, do you, do you really believe 
uh, that God loves you? Do you really believe uh, that you are a child of God? And more often than not, I'll get some answer like, well, I hope so. Or, it would be nice to think so. Or, well, I hope it's true. And Paul says, and Jesus says, and the Spirit says, you've got a ring on. I want you to know that ring and be sure. I want you to rest in the security that wherever you go, whatever happens, whatever people do to you, you will never stop being my child. I will never stop being your father. Now, in our time, uh, most people are adopted, aren't they, through the work of, a, of an adoption agency. And, you know, I think this is how it works, isn't it, that the adoption agency first gets to know a bit about the child and then the adoption agency looks for the most suitable match for the child and then the agency brings them together and for a while at least then watches over this new family relationship to make sure it goes forward. And what Paul is saying in this passage this morning is that the Holy Spirit is like an adoption agency. He knows us from the inside. He knows what we're like. And the Spirit then brings us together. He introduces us to our new Father, the God of heaven and earth. And we might draw back with fear. And we may say, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to call him. And the Spirit says, just call him Abba, the ordinary word, everyday word for a child talking to their father. Father, dad, daddy, pops, whatever is your ordinary word. That says the Spirit. Just call him that. Because that's the intimacy of the relationship. From time to time in our our great home group, we have a conversation which kind of says, "Um, I'm never sure who I should be praying to. Uh, Should I just be praying to God? Uh, Should I be praying uh, to the Spirit? Should I be praying to Jesus? Who should I be talking to? What do I call him when I'm praying? And throughout his life, Jesus only had one word to talk to God in prayer. And that was the word Father. And when he said, the disciples said, teach us to pray, he said, our Father is how you begin. The only time Jesus talked to God with a different beginning was my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I wonder if that's not your habit, maybe it is your habit, maybe you do that already. Just this, just for this week to come, just see what it feels like. Is every time you want to talk to God, you start with the word Father. And just see how that kind of changes things if it does make that your preferred mode of address to God this week I know that a lot of people get confused about the Holy Spirit and I do too and sometimes people think that the Holy Spirit is only involved in the flashbang wallop, the spectaculars of the Christian life and of course he is wonderfully 
But Paul says in this passage that actually he is all about the everyday things of the Christian life. And you may well say, well, I still don't get it. But listen to what Paul says. And if you want to refer to the passage, verse 13, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. You know, every time you say to yourself, I don't want to go on living like this. I wish I could do something about this part of my life. Every time you say to yourself, there must, be, there must be a different way, there must be more than this. Every time there's something in you that wants to be different or do different, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. Those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. Verse 13 and 14. Every time you feel maybe that God is leading you to do this or not to do this, Every time you think, well, maybe this is what I should be about, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. Every time you cry out for whatever reason, Abba, Father, just cry out to God in hope or joy or despair, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit making you look and depend on God the Father. And Paul says, verses 13 and 16, The Spirit testifies that we are God's children. Every time we know in ourselves that whatever is happening, God is here with us, knows us, loves us. We can turn to him anywhere at any time. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And as I say, Paul wants us to live and work out of that place of security even if it's all confusing, even if it's all going wrong, even if I think everything and everyone is against me, I know that God is for me and with me and around me. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So of course you know about the Holy Spirit. Of course you do. How how easily do you identify with that list I've just set out? Of course you know about the Holy Spirit. Maybe just sometimes we, we don't have the language to talk about him. But Paul gives us that language. I talked earlier about all the different badges that we uh, put on ourselves or let other people put on us. <coughs> but we all live too, don't we? Uh, with many voices in our heads. Uh, voices from all the people who have a stake in our lives. Voices that pressurise us and shape us. Uh, but voices too from the things that we sometimes say to ourselves. And again, there can be dark voices in there. It'll never work out. The imposter syndrome. Who do you think you're kidding? Who do you think you are? And in all that, Paul says, look, in all those voices, learn to hear the voice of the Spirit. We don't have a shouty spirit. We have a quiet spirit. And sometimes we need to learn to hear him in all the confusion. Uh, You know that uh, I've got a hearing problem, part of getting aged. And uh, sometimes to my shame, uh, Jean uh, will be saying something to me, and I've no idea what she said. And she'll say to me, have you got your hearing aids in? I'll say, yeah. And the problem is, the problem is actually that I've been listening to other voices in my head. And I haven't heard the voice I most need to hear. And sometimes it's the other voices in our heads 
that block out what the Spirit is saying to us. So you know that moment, or at least there's a moment in my life, you know that moment when when you look at the mirror for yourself for the first time in the morning? What do you say to yourself as you look at yourself in all your glory and splendour? I want to suggest this. Maybe for this week, at the start of, you know, that mirror, just at that moment, every day this week, you look at it and you say, good morning, child of God. Good morning, Heavenly Father. And get on with the day and see whether that makes a difference. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Right at the start of the day, the Holy Spirit giving you the strength to say, good morning, child of God. The Holy Spirit giving you the strength to look up and say, good morning, Heavenly Father. And get on with the day. But secondly, Paul says, never forget who you are, but never forget who you will be. You are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. One day, all the glory of Christ will be fully yours. I'm not a great uh, walker. I'm a pretty appalling walker, to be honest. I I don't much enjoy it. Uh, But various friends and family over the years have tried to lug me and tug me up various hills and mountains. And part of their encouragement has always been, you know, the view from the top is going to be fantastic. And my response, not always spoken, has been, I'm sure it will be, but all I'm concerned about is my next breath and my next step and not falling over or falling off. And and maybe day to day, the thought of the glory of Christ is a bit like that uh, for us too. I'm sure heaven will be wonderful when I get there, but at the moment I'm just concentrated on the next breath and the next step and not falling over and not falling off. We see the glory of Christ in the future is a nice thought to hold on to from time to time, but it doesn't really do much for me now. And Paul would say to us, don't be silly. Who you one day will be shapes everything about who you are now and what you do now. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And that's Paul's view of the glory to come. We don't look back on a past, however rosy, however golden. We don't even live for the day. We live in the moment, but not for the moment. But we look to the future and we let that future shape everything we are now. And we get hung up on this phrase, don't we? So heavenly minded, no earthly use. But actually, the more heavenly minded we are, the more earthly use we can be. There was a woman who had a great problem. She thought that someone was always under her bed. And she went to various counsellors and psychiatrists and they could do absolutely nothing. She was fixed on this thing that something, someone was under her bed. And it was destroying her life. But then one day she went into a council and she said, it's gone, I've been cured, I've been fixed. And he said, how? And uh, she said, well, my vicar fixed it. And the council said, how did did she do that? 
and uh, the woman said she came into my bedroom and sawed the legs off my bed. (laughs) Only the heavenly minded can see what is really necessary to do in this situation. And Paul says, let the glory to come shape how you live now. What does that mean? If one day justice will prevail, then let justice prevail now. If one day there will be no more suffering and sorrow, then let compassion and comfort rule now. As then, so now. We're busy taking skiing holidays. You know, skiing holidays, SKI, spend the kids' inheritance holidays. (laughs) So we're getting through that at a fair rate of knots. But what if we're spending the kids' environmental inheritance? How does that look from the the future of glory? And Paul says, even I look at my present sufferings, not worth comparing with the glory to come. So if the future is glorious and beautiful, wonderful, then in this beautiful world, but which is sometimes ugly, why not bring glory into it? Mother Teresa went round the world, didn't she? Challenging leaders and rulers, saying, do something beautiful for God. Do something beautiful for God. And maybe that's a, a word we still need to hear today. Here's just a couple of very brief clips, again from our home group material, using a group in home group called uh, Inside Out, how we can live more fully for Christ in the world around around us. One of my heroes was Mother Teresa. Well, I guess she was a shero, and uh, she was one of the folks that, that uh, I mean, just followed Jesus with such a reckless abandonment. And uh, and yet, when she was asked, "How have you managed to lift fifty thousand people off the streets of Calcutta?" she said, "I started with one." To me, that's that's not too daunting of an invitation. You know, is is to find one person that we can really love well, one person that we can pour our lives into, maybe someone that has has been really lonely or really beat up by this world, um, and, and to to try to embody God's love and grace in that relationship. I even met a, a group of young kids that were sort of the preppy kids. You know, they liked their manicures and pedicures. And they said, we're a little different from you, Shane. You know, but we're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. And they told me that they had found this elderly home down the street. And they got a list of all of the old women that don't have any visitors or no family. And, and they said, and we go there every week and we visit them. And we give them manicures and pedicures, you know, and, and we listen to their story. And um, Mother Teresa used to remind us that we can do no great things, but only small things with great love. Uh, And I think it's really beginning with those small things, to begin with a relationship that we can do well, and then allow everything else to kind of bubble up out of that. And, and, And we see it all through Scripture, that this idea that we are to be born again... Uh, is there, but it's also this thing that has to affect the way that we love our, our neighbor and the poor. John the Baptist is saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. But he also says in the next line, and if you've got two tunics, give one away. And uh, maybe some of us would hope that when we get to, you know, heaven, it's, it's a doctrinal test. You know, we'll be asked, uh, virgin birth, agree, disagree, strongly disagree, you know. Uh, but uh, incidentally, Jesus is going, no, actually, it's going to be 
Um, when I was hungry, did you feed me? That'll be the question. And I hope that we're able to say yes. And we're able to have a few people beside us that can testify. You know, and we say, tell them, tell them. You know, we did. Our allegiance in the God of heaven has to affect the way that we live on earth. The future shapes now. And in his book, this book, if uh, Mike, Mark Batterson talks about a colleague who has prayed a very simple prayer, but he's prayed it over and over again. Let Washington see the glory of God. What if we prayed, let Wanush see the glory of God? What if we prayed, let Blackheath see the glory of God? What if Cranley or Shamley Green or London? What if, let my home see the glory of God? Let my office see the glory of God? How might God answer? And how might that change our willingness to be part of the answer? What if each day we say, I will do something beautiful for God, for the glory of Christ? Remember who you are. Rejoice in who you will be. Call God Abba, Father. Look at yourself in the face as a child of God. Do something beautiful for the glory of God and the glory of Christ. Amen.